a young father heard a commotion out in his backyard, and he looked outside, and he saw his daughter and several of her playmates in a heated quarrel. They were saying ugly things to one another, threatening to not speak to one another anymore, threatening to withhold things from one another, and they were starting to show the body language of storming off in different directions. When the father intervened, his daughter called back and said, Oh, Dad, we're just playing church. You know, there is a lot of lack of love in the body of Christ. There is a lot of real prideful, not really interested in serving one another. Uh, There is a lot of that. There's also... uh, areas of great love and sacrifice, but it's normal enough that we can laugh at that because we've seen enough of it. But I think this text uh, here, you see how much Paul has a love for those in Rome that he's never met, Uh, how much love those in Macedonia and Achaia have for those in Jerusalem that in many cases they had never met. In some cases they perhaps did if Uh, but most cases probably not. Spain, who he's never met. Uh, And just kind of the language of Paul and saying that, you know, I I hope that when I come to spend time and enjoy your company for a while. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's Word tonight, Mutual Love. And it definitely appears that not only does Paul have love, uh, a sincere love for the churches, In this specific case, he's writing to Rome, but he's touching on interactions with other believers at the same time, which we'll uh, look at. But also, it's pretty clear that these other believers have listened and learned enough from Paul that they also are showing love. That's why I'm calling it mutual love, that we actually see some reciprocal uh, demonstration of love both in the churches, which are relatively uh, new in the scheme of how long the apostles, and in the case of Paul and others, that it went out to do church planning. But there's a mutual love that Paul certainly is the pace setter in, but it's evident that those in Rome are the kind of believers that are listening and learning and applying, and as well as in those in Macedonia and Achaia and other places. And again, if you're taking notes, we'll look at three things this evening. Uh, intention investment, and intercession. Intention, investment, and intercession. All three of these based in love. Everything we really do, you know, Paul would be the one that the Holy Spirit would give that famous chapter, 1 Corinthians, what? 13. That if everything else you do, if it lacks love, it doesn't profit you anything. Even if you did everything here that Paul said, you know, you you received him, did all those things, but if it's not a genuine, sincere love, and the Lord can tell us when our love is not sincere, and he will test our motives. But love is the source, a love for God. That's why Jesus said all the commandments hang on two commandments. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate everything, don't we? But at the end of the day, uh, love for the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, And 
those are the great commandments upon which every commandment is built. But those commandments uh, should really be fulfilled inside the body of Christ. In other words, the humorous story should be the last thing we should find, not one of the first things we should find in the body of Christ. you agree with that? I mean, quarreling happens. Those of you that are not perfect and you have your own families, you know quarrels happen even among people that love each other. Two, two sisters, two brothers. I'm talking about in a, in a regular uh, family. Two children. And they certainly happen in the body of Christ, but that's why the Scriptures tell us that love covers a multitude of sins. And so Paul was really demonstrating here in what he writes, uh, his love, but also we get to see and he's conveying the love that other believers have. And I think it's just very instructive for us to learn to walk these things out. But also, I want to start with this first one, intention, that Paul teaches us, again, Paul's life is intentional. Everything. Uh, And I'm not talking about robotic. Intentional from the standpoint of doing what he knows God has called us to do. Taking the Great Commission serious. Go into all the world and reach the gospel, uh, or preach the gospel to every creature, everyone. And Paul had that desire. We know that from the previous study where we finished off in 2021, Paul, his desire was to go where no one had ever heard the gospel. Uh, that takes a lot of intention. Those that are doing Bible translation for Wycliffe and others that are going where uh, uh, this, the gospel's never, either the, the language hasn't been interpreted or no one's gone there yet. Uh, That takes a lot of intentionality of, I will go there because I love those people. But more than just loving the people, your love for people can fade. That's why it's always first love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you're in the presence of God, your love will be rewarmed to people. And so that's why we always have to have what we're doing here tonight. The, The time in God's Word draws us back closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. When our love is warm there, it will be warm towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it will be warm to the outside world that is unsaved. If it's not warm before the Lord, it won't be warm to people. But because Paul had that close relationship with Christ, because he did have that deep, spirit-filled life, then he had a love for the churches, he had a love for the body of Christ, and he walked with intentionality, uh, intentionally, wanting to go and pour into and, and really minister to people. In this case, we know, as we've been going through the whole book of Romans, he's written to those in Rome who he's not met, but he knows of their faith. And we know for some time he's intended, he says in verse 22, for this reason I've also been much hindered in coming to you. So for some time Paul has intended to visit the believers in Rome, but was prevented from doing so. He wanted to. Is there ever time you've wanted to go somewhere and it just, another month slips by, another month slips by, maybe it's a family member, hey, we want to come visit you guys, and then uh, soccer came up, and this came up, and I promised to serve over here that week at the church, and so it just kind of goes, and you maybe expected to get there in two months, and it ends up being six months later. Well, in Paul's case, it's a longer wait than that, and the reasons uh, are more important than the ones I just mentioned. Uh, he was prevented from going to Rome, even though he desired to, but the form of the Greek word for hindered here means 
to impede one's course by cutting off his way. He was hindered because his way was cut off, unable to go. It wasn't just a scheduling conflict. Most likely, the Lord had delayed Paul until the work was fully completed in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey today, so you know, back in the day, that's what, what we see as Turkey. That was considered Asia Minor. Many of you probably growing up, uh, it, it, when I was growing up in, the early, in school in the early 70s, Asia Minor was mentioned a lot. Uh, it, that term was fairly normal. I hardly ever hear it anymore, but that was considered Asia Minor there with Turkey. Well, this isn't the first time that Paul was hindered by the Lord. and it, Not hindered, but just kind of kept on hold. Remember in Acts uh, chapter 16 and verse 6, it tells us that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Well, that's interesting because Paul right now has been held up in Asia, but in Acts 16, he couldn't go to Asia. So the irony is he wants to go to Rome, but the Lord had him stay in Asia. Back when he wanted to go to Asia, the Lord didn't let him go to Asia. There's a little lesson for you and I. When you want to go somewhere and do something, even if it's for the Lord, it'll be His timing, not ours, even if we have good intentions. Paul wanted to go to Asia back in Acts chapter 16 for the same reason he ended up in Asia, and that was to bring the gospel to people that had never heard the gospel. Instead, uh, the Lord told him, no, not yet, and he eventually does come back uh, and go to Asia, and that's where he's been when he's writing this letter He's desiring to go there. In Acts chapter 19, he says, and this continued for two years. This is when he got to Asia. Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it said, This continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That uh, Paul ends up spending two years in Asia preaching the word to Jews and Greeks. Now we we believe that when Paul spent that time in Asia, he never really, uh, it's, well, we don't know for certain, but it's likely that he didn't even leave the time he was in Asia, the city of Ephesus. He may have stayed, uh, if you go back and read in the book of Acts, that he ended up uh, using the, uh, what's it, um, the teaching place of Tyrannus. But he ends up in there with uh, the believers in Ephesus, and it's more than likely that he's taught in Ephesus for about two years, whether he ventured out of Ephesus or just stayed in Ephesus, what took place that either him or him and the believers or the believers that were getting saved and discipled under the ministry of Paul, they fanned out all the way through Asia Minor, and that work was completed. And once that work was completed, uh, it gave Paul the opportunity to put his eyes finally on Rome. And even before he goes to Rome, he hits, a few, you know, he hits a few cities along the way on his return trip to Jerusalem, which is where he's headed here, is to make that donation that he's talking about, the poor in Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to take up this collection. It's cited a few times in the New Testament. And take that down to Jerusalem. He's finished the work. Uh, whatever the work was that God had him do in Asia, it's been completed now. And that's why he says in verse 22, for this reason I've been hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts. What does that mean? Well, no longer having a place that we haven't brought the gospel that God intended us to. So he's not saying that I don't have a place to stay, but no longer having a place 
that needs to hear that we, being the church here in Asia Minor, hasn't been able to penetrate. That's a great statement, isn't it? That every place that God intended us to go, we've been able to bring the gospel. And there's still places around the world today in our lifetime that this is not true of. But, but Paul, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the church there, had been able to, in a two-year period, virtually all of Asia Minor was reached with the gospel. And now he was able to set his sights. Well, you can see where his ultimate sight is set on what's, what's, what country? Spain. He wants to go to Spain. And, you know, the Roman Empire also had control of Spain. It was called Hispania uh, under the Roman Empire. You know, we had our exchange student with us this, this summer and uh, her family, they live in Tarragona, which is two hours south of Barcelona. And even right there in Tarragona, uh, there's the big Roman amphitheater. It looks identical to the ones that we saw in Caesarea and Bet Shin uh, in Israel. And of course, the same ones you would see in other parts of the Roman world. So that whole area of Spain, uh, many Bible scholars believe that Paul felt either the gospel had barely reached there or hadn't reached it at all. Uh, and, and we don't know... Uh, to the extent, but it, at any rate, Paul had a great desire to get to Spain, but on his way to Spain, he intended to again go down to Jerusalem, uh, deliver the gift, make sure I'm safe, make sh- pray for me, he was at the end, make sure everything goes well, then I want to go to Rome, hang out with you guys for a while, pour into y'all, minister y'all, then head to Spain. That's his intended goal. That's how he had it mapped out. He had Spain in mind for a considerable amount of time, And as he was praying and planning to go to Rome, desiring to see each of those members and believers there in the Roman fellowship, you know, he could not reach each of these places unless he prioritized and put together a plan. He said, look, this is is what I want to do. I'm mapping out. This is what I intend to do. Lord willing, he'll give us, the, give us the grace and give us the opportunity to do it, but this is the desire that he has. Um, and that's a good example to us to see opportunities and make plans and start to move accordingly. If the Lord wants to reroute us, he will. He's done that to Paul before. And he's going to do it again here, too. Those of you who know how he ends up in Rome, it's not the way he intended, and he doesn't get to Spain after all. But again, the Lord was always the one that's going to direct Paul, but he puts the desire on Paul's heart to reach people, to go to Rome, to minister to the believers that are there. How about us? Do we have that kind of intentional walk that we're looking you know, we're praying in advance, saying, Lord, I want, to, I want to take new steps of faith in 2014. I want to grow beyond what I'm doing. I, I want to do things, Lord, that, again, not to impress God, not to earn our way to heaven. We're saved by grace. But just because we know that Jesus has given us X amount of hours, X amount of days, X amount of time to live, that we say, Lord, we want to use them wisely to reach people. Uh, we know that you love them, so we want to reach out And that, again, pouring into believers as well as non-believers. Are we praying? Are we, it always starts with prayer. Are we praying? 
You can believe that Paul prayed about all these things. He prayed about getting to Rome. He prayed about getting to Spain. He prayed about, Lord, what should I write in this letter to them? Which is 16 chapters. Of course, it wasn't divided by chapters, but Lord, what should I write to them? What should I say? When should I go? But are we praying? Are we investigating? Looking for opportunities. People investigate all kinds of things that have little importance, but are we investigating you know, how we can reach the community here? Are we planning? Are we setting spiritual goals? Even in our own homes. Are we prayerfully executing on discipleship? I, I, we can grow a lot in discipleship. That's one of the things that I'm working with our church leadership on is, is really kind of growing that area. I think you know, when you're uh, here Sunday, we'll talk about some of those things for the coming year. Uh, are we building relationships or planning and building relationships? Are we reaching new people with the life-changing message of the gospel? All these things take intention. Nobody will pick you up and do these things for you. True? Now, you do need other brothers and sisters in Christ to help motivate you. And I love that Jesus sends people out usually two by two because when one person doesn't want to go, the other person's there to say, let's go. When one person's feeling down, that's why marriage is good. There's many reasons why marriage is good, but it's one of the reasons that marriage is good because you kind of spur each other on. But you have to have intentionality. You have to set goals. I love that Paul teaches us that goal setting is a good thing. I'm going to Rome, I'm going to Spain, unless the Lord reroutes me, which he's done before. He's rerouted me too. I'm sure he has you. Uh, Do you ever realize how much time we waste? You ever think about how much time you waste? I, I, I see time that I waste. And the scriptures tell us to redeem the time, and I certainly see times where I'm wasting time and the Lord will speak to me. I thank the Holy Spirit that He does do that and stops me dead in my tracks if I'm doing something that's wasteful, not really beneficial. But people pour their full energy and passion. Many people pour their full energy and passion into their career. I want to be successful, really successful, big goals, Big plaques. I, I look at you know some of the things that I achieved when I was in the business world. Some of the plaques or different stuff, and like they're meaningless. People forgot about them within five minutes after they were given out. In the business world, you go from here to zero really fast. It's a true thing. People invest so much time in that. People pour their energy into the uh, into their careers, but also people spend a lot of time, waste a lot of time. Invest a ton of time in entertainment. In our country, it's unbelievable. I was with a group of pastors, about 100 area pastors yesterday, uh, spent about a half day with area pastors. And you know, one of the things, uh, you know, today the average, the average video game player is 35 years old, male. Isn't that unreal? The average video game player is a 35-year-old male. You know, Paul said, when I was a child, I act like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul had time to go to places like Rome and Spain because he wouldn't waste time on things that just were meaningless, fleeting. I'm not saying it's wrong to ever play a video game or anything like that. Don't get the wrong impression. But there's something, something about that 
you just wouldn't even have seen that with men in our country, even if video games did exist in like the 1910. Something's different. Hobbies, people spend an incredible amount of time. Intentionality, they have a lot of intentionality with their hobbies. They plan for them, they spend a certain amount of money. It's a big deal. I've seen the treasure houses of hobbies. People's personal pleasure, a lot of time invested in in personal pleasure. I'm not talking about sinful types, I'm just, just personal leisure time. You know, that's... A big portion of America today is entertainment, sports, leisure. And then you can do all those things and wake up and half your life is over. True? Or or more than half your life is over. Some are tirelessly intentional on that career track and the accolades and the success. But at what price? At what price? And... For what things or what people suffer for it? What's the price? And what things in your life or what people in your life suffer to achieve quote-unquote success or greatness? I heard a quote this week. I'd never heard this quote before. I don't know who the author is, but I loved it. I think it illustrates a great truth. It says, failure can also mean to succeed in a way that doesn't matter. Failure can also mean to succeed in a way that doesn't matter. And that wasn't Paul's life, was it? His intention was to lay up treasure in heaven, to present the Lord on the day that he meets him, all of his crowns. That that was Paul's intention. And to do the other things that the Lord's asked him to do while he was here on this earth, we're going to ensure that that intention, not only would the needs be met here on this earth, but when he comes to meet the Lord face to face, he's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. With the time that we have to be intentional for the work of the Lord and others, what are we doing? And what could we be doing? And I'm not talking about drumming up a whole bunch more activity It's just really being intentional with what we do do. Really make the minutes count. Really be wise with it, uh, what we do. I just, you know, just wrote a few things down. um, Things that we can set goals to do. Perhaps we've not done in a while or we didn't do. You know, George Mueller, I love one of the things that not only did he pray constantly, asked him how many she prayed during the day. He said, all day, hours everything I do. But I'm amazed at how many letters he wrote. And I don't know how he found the time to write so many. Uh, It was a different time, but we can only use that excuse so much. You know, we, we like that. We like to say that it was a different time back then. And that's true. And many things are true of, but we need to know how much of that statement is really true. The Lord will test our heart and say, to this extent, yes, but not, that doesn't exonerate. You know, we have the opportunity, is there a letter to a relative or relatives that we should be sending this year? Even a handwritten one. You know, people still like getting those. Certainly email, a card. Maybe send, a couple of years ago I sent to all my relatives that lived in Maryland uh, around Christmas 
I, I sent them all a, a DVD that I knew had the gospel on it, and it was really well done, and a letter to all of them. Uh, I never heard a word when I saw them in person that they got it. It's kind of awkward. Hey, did you get the video I sent you? But I didn't hear anything. But it's still an opportunity, a, a gift. Maybe give a, a gift to someone with a note. You know, just a nice gift with a note with Scripture on it or something. Uh, that you're going to participate in one of our outreaches in the coming year. We'll be announcing what some of those will be in, a, in, a, in several weeks. But uh, that you're going to participate. That you're going to invite unsaved neighbors or plan to go uh, do something that's outside of your comfort zone. Street witnessing, if we do something like that, or you do something, uh, go to Bonaire, uh, and you have to, and that takes intentionality too. You got to get fingerprinted, you got to get a background check, you got to go all, all that stuff to even to go, but it's worth it. That you're going to start saving money to go to a mission trip. We've got opportunities. Uh, Pastor Dima in St. Petersburg wants uh, he got very excited. He wants me to bring a group of you guys to Russia in 2015, which would be fantastic. We actually could do real outreach. We'd go in the summer, by the way, because like Randy said, it is like a... They laugh at this weather, by the way. Hey, they, when they flew into Chicago, it was with the polar vortex, and him and his wife, Alina, is like, this is, what's the big deal? This is winter. It was like, uh, it was like 25 below wind chill factor in Chicago, and they're like, that's what's so... so? We left St. Petersburg as 50 below windshield. What's the difference? But that we would pre- uh, prepare. Uh, start, even if you don't know where on a mission trip, just start saving for one. Things like that. <coughs> Intentionality. What can we be doing? Um, that we teach this type of proactive faith to our children as well. I mean, think about it. How many of you have just woke up one time? You woke up one day and you amazingly... You woke up and you and your family were on vacation four states away. Weird. You just woke up and there you were. You didn't plan. You didn't even take off work. You had no plan. It just happened. It just fell into place like that. Of course, that doesn't happen. You had to do a lot of planning. How much can we spend? How far away? You know, why are we bringing the kids or not bringing the kids? You know, all those things you have to take planning into account. We need to do these things uh, for the Lord as well. We have to be in prayer and ask for the perseverance and, and walk in perseverance. And the Lord will help us to make inroads in the area of intentionality and reaching out and especially those who truly need it. We can intentionally invest in relationships with other believers uh, again, I'm, I'm talking about practical things here tonight with this. I mean, Paul, uh, this was all going to be practical when he spends time with those in Rome, the letter he's written, going on to Spain. I mean, Paul was going to always do hands-on work, but he was intentional about doing that and getting there and doing the work. But we have to intentionally invest in relationships with other believers. I mean, you're here tonight partly because of that, but even beyond uh, what we do here, invite a family uh, to lunch after church. Invite some of the single women. We've got several single women in this church, especially single elderly women. Uh, you could invite over for lunch after church or lunch on a Saturday or, a, or early dinner or something like that. Invite a family to have breakfast with you one Saturday morning. 
Invite a couple of families over. You know, if you've got a house that can accommodate, invite a couple over. A couple of different families. How about this one? Bless a family and making them just just bless them and make them a dinner, even though no one in their house is sick. They've not even asked for anything specific. You just did it out of the blue to bless them. Things like that. No real reason other than just to show love and encouragement. The Romans didn't ask Paul to write them a letter. Paul wanted to write them a letter. He wanted to encourage them. He had heard about all that they were doing for the Lord, and he said, I want to even expand what you're doing for the Lord because you're already doing great, and God can even do greater. And that's really where all of us are at. No matter how much God has done in your life and my life, He's by no means done. We've only just begun. Amen? Isn't that great? He's just started. This church, your family, your walk, if you get to live another 15, 20, 30, 40, whatever, until the Lord, I know some of you want Jesus to come back tomorrow, so do I. But if he doesn't, there's much more that we can see him do, but we have to be intentional. And by the way, I'm not saying, um, even if you're trying to bless those that, uh, Jesus even talked about inviting those over that can't pay you back. Uh, Those are, I, I think, one of the things as believers we, we don't do as well in the body of Christ, including this church. Uh, I think some do it well and some it's still a learning thing, but I think all of us, we do have to look for people that are least likely to be like us, look like us, and least likely to pay us back in any way, shape, or form and bless them. But not to the exclusion of, I'm not saying that to the exclusion of that you ignore and uh, neglect the relationship with believers who are close friends or you're becoming close friends because that's an important aspect of you being built up and you being poured into and you being encouraged and being refreshed. But we also want to take that to people that no one invites, that no one thinks of, both believers in the church and, of course, you know, that's one of the reasons why we go to Bonaire. Most people are not thinking. They're mostly from single parents. Now, ultimately, it's to bring the gospel, but also to show the love of Christ, but intentionally love. And I love that Paul intentionally, he loves the Romans and Spaniards, though never meeting them. Heard of them? Most of the Spaniards are unsaved. Most of the Romans he's talking to, of course, all the Romans he's writing here to, are saved. But he's looking for ways to get there and to invest in them. Let's, let's take a look at this investment. Uh, when I journey to Rome, I hope to see you and to be helped on my way there by you. Well, that's awful presumptuous by Paul. When I get there, I'm going to expect you guys will be investing in me. You know, when you're an apostle, you can say these kind of things, right? But really what he's saying is that I know that you're people that love the Lord and I know that you guys are blessed to bless others, and I'm going to need your help. Which is also a humble thing to say, I'm going to need your help. You know, Paul was fully supported by the body of Christ. Although everywhere he went, he was willing to even work with his own hands. He would, be, he would do some tent making, but uh, he was totally dependent on the believers un- unless, and there was times where he wouldn't, takes from him. He would go ahead and, and, and do tent making the things on his own. 
But he needed their lodging, their homes, their hospitality, and he was going to need that. When he got to Rome, he was going to need them to invest in him. But they had a good example, and I'm sure they'd heard a lot about Paul, just as he had heard a lot about them. No doubt they'd heard a lot about him. Paul's entire life, as they probably knew through others that had been to Rome and told them about the Apostle Paul, his whole life was one of pouring out rather than soaking in. He says this in Philippians 2.17, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Poured out on your faith. Paul's like, my life is poured out on you guys. He said the same thing, this drink offering analogy in 2 Timothy 4.6, which is also a reference to the drink offerings back in the priesthood of the Old Testament. But Paul lived a life of total investment in the kingdom of God. I think we'd all agree on that, right? That Paul was pretty invested in the kingdom of God, as invested as any man has ever been. Not more than John the Baptist or Elijah, but, but as much as any man had ever been, Paul was invested to that extent. All of his time, his talents, whatever treasure, sometimes he did have some treasure, just from gifts from people, tent making, you know, he said, I've learned to abound and, and to be grateful and, uh, and rejoice whether I had a little or even had nothing or had much. But whatever talents he had, whatever time he had, whatever treasure he had, uh, this he sowed in the lives of others uh, in his ministry. And it was always for the purpose of glorifying God, bringing the gospel to lost people, and building up and equipping the saints. And so it must be with us, right? That we're investing in, in the ministry of serving the Lord, that the Lord would be glorified in our obedience and just giving Him glory, that we are bringing the gospel to Richmond and around the world, not only through this church, but the other ministries that we invest in and that you invest in individually. And then also building up the body of Christ, which comes through fellowship, comes through discipleship, comes through hanging out together, working through things together, that Paul lived his life that way and taught the believers. That's why he, when he would go to a church, he would spend time there. And God always had him spend a certain amount of time there that people could observe his life. And just like an apprentice, you know, the apprentice would learn, you know, the... the uh, the blacksmith might have an apprentice, but most of the work was not done on a chalkboard, was it? Most of it was done watching the blacksmith work and then say, all right, now you grab the next iron. Grab the next horseshoe. All right, no, 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 don't beat it that long like this. And, and this is what Paul would do with, with elders and with deacons and with people that uh, would he that he would lay hands on and place into those positions, but the whole body, they would observe his life and God used him in a great way to plant churches that were strong and that understood why they were called to work for the kingdom in the same way that Paul did. And he had taught believers everywhere, everywhere he went, he had taught the believers to learn and to accept and to walk in the responsibility investment of investment in the work of the gospel, that they, they readily received that word that they had to invest, and that was going to mean their time, 
the gifts that the Holy Spirit would give them, and, and even gifts that are not from the Holy Spirit, just gifts that maybe someone, because again, playing a musical instrument is not a spiritual gift, but if someone had learned that while they were unsaved, and then they come to Christ, then the Lord might say, I want you to use that ability to play that instrument for me in leading worship or helping with worship. Other things are spiritual gifts, but Paul would teach them that they would learn to budget a portion of their time must go to serving the body of Christ, which many of you do, and praise the Lord, and I thank you for all that you do in that respect. But you invest also the gifts and talents, and even the ones, like I said, that are not spiritual gifts. Uh, For the guys that are starting up the helps ministry to to go do some projects. We've got a couple of them right now. Uh, you know, the two families need, one needs help with something that's construction related, another one needs help with a car. That's not a spiritual gift, but that gift that gifting of helps becomes very effective in doing things that are really tangible. And then lastly, uh, but certainly of equal value, is financially. That the, the Paul had taught them that they had to invest as the Lord had blessed them with the first fruits of their income that they would also bless other people with those first fruits and he talks quite a bit about it not only here we'll take a look at a couple other places now Paul said in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 listen to this Paul said in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 I have shown you listen to how specific Paul is and how he says I have taught and you've seen it, and now you have to apply it. Paul says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. There's some that Paul said, you're going to have to support some people that are weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give. You know the rest, right? Than receive. Did you know Paul said that? And he quoted Jesus? Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than receive. I have shown you, I love what he says, I've shown you in every way. If you've watched me, you've now seen that I live this out. I'm not, telling, I'm not preaching you one thing and living another. I've, you've seen it in my life, how I have to labor, how we have to support the weak. Those that are sick, they can't work as much, or this or that, or maybe it's, you know, they lost their job for a period of time. All these things, they all apply. Paul had taught the body of Christ wherever he went that they needed to give of all these areas, the labor of their time, the labor of their talents, but also generously, and even that these are responsibilities. Take a look at a couple of things. Real quick, turn over to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, the last chapter. 1 Corinthians 16. I just want want you to see the language of which... um, Paul was not money motivated at all. Everybody agree with that? He he could speak five or six languages, very well educated. If he was looking for money, he would not have chose to be a church planning apostle. And he spurned it most often. Again, there was times where he would not even take a penny and he would even tent make anyway. So he, he... Personally, he was not money motivated, but he wanted the body of Christ to know that everything they had belonged to the Lord. The scriptures say, all the gold is mine. Now look what he says in verse, uh, in, in, in 
1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 1. Can you imagine, there's people that would get up and walk out of the church if this was said to them. Listen to what Paul says. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, so you also must do. There are people that would get up and say, I'm out of here. Who does this guy think he is telling us we need to all give a collection? And he's, he says we must do it. Now who is he speaking on behalf of? The Holy Spirit. So their issues wouldn't be with Paul. On the first day of the week, then Paul even tells them how to properly prepare. He teaches people how to set goals and to keep them. Look what he says next. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside. So Paul says, this is going to take planning. But I'm not telling you to bundle this all at once. I'm giving you some lead time. Take a little time each week. We call that savings, right? He says, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. In other words, Paul says, when I get there, I'm not going to take a collection. I'll assume that it's all ready to go. I'll receive it, and I'm going to take it. And when I come, verse 3, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear gift to Jerusalem. Again, there's many poor people now in Jerusalem. Things have gone bad. There was at one time a famine there. And many of the believers in Jerusalem are now suffering. Just like many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are now suffering. So Paul says, I'm going to bless them. But I'm asking you, you guys are doing well. Paul says, you guys, your economy's going great. You're doing well. And you should be thankful that you're saved. And I'm commanding you to start setting aside something. Every... Now, some people would say, I'm leaving. Paul, you, you had me with the whole time stuff. You had me with the talent stuff. But don't you dare tell me that I need to be setting something aside for the saints in Jerusalem. I don't even know the saints in Jerusalem. Right? There's more. Look what else Paul says. Look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Go on right. Go right. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in um, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and even their deep poverty abounded for the riches of their liberality. Now at this point, things have gone wrong here in Macedonia, and they're, they're not doing well financially at this point. For I bear witness according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing to give, imploring us with such urgency. Some of the churches had so learned from Paul and his selflessness that they also become selfless because they've observed it in Paul. They've, just, they've realized that, uh, that he gives that way, that he lives that way, and they begin to even give beyond their means at times. This is starting to enter the stratosphere of, uh, remember like the widow uh, that Jesus uh, made mention of. And then in the ninth chapter, uh, starting in verse 6, but I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And I'm, not, I'm not reading these things to you for any other reason other than to say, Paul had taught this in the body and it was such an important thing to learn because it's really the heart of God this giving and investing of our time and our talent now let's look at the last place 
So we've seen him write to Corinth. We saw his command to them to, to take up this collection. Uh, he's thinking, and again, this is not even their general just tithing to the Lord. He's talking about there's a special need in Jerusalem and with the poor that are there and those that are having difficulty, we need to... Um, and, I, and I think in our own church, we have opportunities in the future, which I'd like us to, to plan ahead, that we take a love offering once a year, for example, uh, for our missionaries around the world. But we plan ahead for that, right? That you would put aside a little bit of something, say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip one more Starbucks this week. Or, you know, you start putting those things aside, and, and that's minimal stuff. But we plan ahead, and I think this is something that not only do I want to learn as a pastor that we properly teach it, but that we live it. So just like the Apostle Paul, we look at and say, what can we do that this time next year in 2015, there might be a body of believers in Syria or something that we could help more than they're being helped today. And trust me, if we think like that, you'll be protected even more (laughs) than if we say, no, I must take care of myself, right? Think think that, uh, that the Lord gives us very, very clear direction. So look at the last, I know we're, uh, we're coming up on time, but let's look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, in the last chapter here, Paul has a lot to say about people that um, put their trust and riches as opposed to are willing to invest it for the kingdom of God. Now look what he says uh, in chapter uh, 6, verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment, uh, is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. And then he has a warning, but those who desire to be rich, uh, well, that is lots and lots of Americans. You ever seen how many TV shows are based on getting rich? Not to mention the lottery and everything else. Uh, but those who desire to be rich fall into what? Temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men to perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not every evil, some people misquote that. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And of course, their greediness is even preached from the pulpits. They've so strayed from the faith that their greediness, they want the whole church to be greedy. And Paul said, this is the opposite. I want, to, I want people to love and invest in the work of reaching Spain with the gospel, reaching the Romans, ministering to the poor in Jerusalem. You see the difference? Versus, I want you to want a new $50,000 car that's even better than your $48,000 car. That's even better than the one you had before that. And, you can, and if God's really blessing you, you'll someday own a Bentley. This is not what Paul taught. Look what, as a matter of fact, look what he says in uh, verse 17. Verse 17. Now here Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy is what? He is a pastor. Paul's telling Timothy, now I could not get away with this in the American church, but I'm just saying that the early church, under the, under the leadership of the apostles, look what Paul says, command those who are rich. What? Command those who are rich in this present age, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Doesn't riches make a lot of people haughty? Yeah. Yeah. Not to be haughty, nor to trust in certain, uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. Look at the next couple. Let them do good. 
that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Paul said, Timothy, you're going to have to teach the new rich believers. And there aren't, there's not tons of them in the church. But when they come in and they're wealthy, that they need to learn to live like Lydia. You guys remember Lydia in the book of Acts? Lydia had a good, good amount of coin in her pocket. Whether she still ran the business or had something from her husband, she, we believe that she actually really funded some of Paul's trips and really was a great financial blessing to Paul. But she really exhibited someone, if you've been given a lot, to whom much is given, much is required. So K.P. Hannon talks about this all the time. Those that have been given a lot, and like Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea gave the tomb for Jesus because he had been given a lot. Therefore, Joseph of Arimathea said, I can't hold on to this tomb and Jesus not have a place to be buried. I will give the tomb. Even if it was intended for himself, he gave it for Christ, right? So Paul says this is something that has to be taught. Command those who are rich. And he also said, remember back in uh, 1 Corinthians, command for this giving. And so we see, go back to Romans 15, this was not, I, why do I read these? Because Paul was diligently teaching this everywhere he went. That's why it was not a surprise that you see, for it pleased those, look at verse 26, Romans 15, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed. And beyond that, they even thought of themselves as debtors to the Jews who had come to Christ first because from the Jews that came to Christ comes the apostles, of which Paul is one of them. He was the last. And they were men that not only preached the gospel, but how many of them died a martyr's death? All but John. You talk about... So you could never say can't believe Paul taught all this stuff. I've given all this money. Paul's going to give his life, his head. Peter, die upside down on a cross. These guys were that committed, but they taught this principle of investing in your brothers and sisters, investing in the ministry of the gospel, investing in these things, to the point where the Macedonians and those from Achaia, it pleased them to do so. They had become cheerful givers which Paul writes to the Corinthians. They'd become cheerful givers. That which began as a teaching became something that they would no longer need to be taught. They would actually teach it to others, which is discipleship. You then teach someone else what the Lord has taught you. Paul taught, the, taught and discipled that the church should not be moochers. You know, the church is not mooching off of, and I come, I sit, you know, the church has all this wonderful stuff for me. It's a free-for-all. It's a buffet for my spiritual wealth and health and everything else. Paul said, no, you can't be a moocher. Matter of fact, he even says, those that are idle among you, correct them. He called that unruliness. They couldn't be hoarders either. They couldn't be rich and say, I've got a whole lot of cash, but I don't want to help those in Jerusalem. Couldn't do that either. But they also couldn't be undisciplined freewheelers because he told them to learn to set aside something each week. Set something aside. That's a discipline, right? That has to take, and it's good for all of us to, to grow in these areas. 
And the last thing as we come to a close here, he says that I may be now brethren, uh, we know that he desires to, to go and, and uh, enjoy uh, not only the investment um, of the Roman, peop- uh, the Roman church into him, um, we know he's going to enjoy bringing the gift to Jerusalem, but he's going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. That's his desire to come to Rome in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel, to spend some time, to enjoy that time. But he knows that that's not going to happen aside from praying and being locked together, locked arms in prayer. What a privilege it is to be locked arms in prayer with brothers and sisters around the world. Um, I, you know, It was so cool to... You know, we pray for, as I know you do, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Syria and Egypt and Iran and North Korea and China and all these places around the world, and I've never met some of these folks. I pray for Brother... I, I love Brother Felix in Bolivia, and I've never met him. You know, we, we were going to try and have him here in, in October, but the U.S. State Department um, said he checked the wrong box. So uh, the, the other church in town that we were going to partner with. So we're trying to get him to come up in 2014. I, he, he doesn't speak English. He only speaks Spanish and Sima Guadanese. I've never met him personally, and I feel like I've known him. I've written letters to him. He's written letters to me. I can relate to Paul kind of writing to people that he's not met, but I do get a chance to pray for him. And I know he prays for us. He writes in his letters. He prays for us. Uh, meeting uh, Pastor Dima, St. Petersburg, Russia, uh, felt like we had known each other for a lifetime because in the Lord. And now when I pray for him and he prays for us and him and I laid hands on Paula together, we know we believe that prayer really works. Amen? Paul says, I beg you, brethren. He doesn't beg for the money stuff. He just teaches on that. But prayer, he says, I beg. Did you notice that? With the financial investment stuff, he just teaches this is the way God wants it. But with prayer, he says, I beg you to strive together with me in prayers. Because prayer will be the last thing we fit in a lot of times, isn't it? And Paul knows it. The busyness of life. Strive together in prayer. E.M. Bounds says, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. God's wants us that this place should be a house of prayer, that we strive together in prayer, that we pray for those we've never met, for those we've never met. And Paul says that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. This is what we pray for our persecuted brethren. They'd be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. We have to pray for their deliverance. And Paul was delivered. You know, I, I've been reading, rereading through the book of Acts and that story, and I love it, that Paul... You know, he goes there. He gets a free ride to Rome, courtesy of Caesar. Although the, it's not the funnest voyage ever, you know, wrecking in Malta and getting bit by a snake and a few other things that happen along the way. But it's still going to be, the church isn't going to have to pay for that trip. Caesar's paying for that one. I mean, he's going to be delivered. And I love that even when he goes to Jerusalem, uh, it's, um, when he gets there, uh, I'll read it. I'll close with this. Think if they got this letter and they actually prayed these things. And then when Paul gets to Paul gets to Jerusalem, Jesus tells him in uh, Acts chapter 23, 
Um, there's a plot against Paul to kill him. Forty men have taken an, an oath. Forty men have taken an oath in Jerusalem that they will neither eat nor drink until they've killed Paul. Bad idea. Because the saints had already prayed that he would persevere and make it through. The next verse, uh, right at, well, the verse before it says, And be of good cheer, Paul. Jesus comes to Paul in the middle of the night. Jesus. The following night, the Lord stood by me, not an angel. Jesus comes to Paul in the middle of the night. Wouldn't that be awesome? Jesus, not an angel. Jesus comes to Paul in the night and says, Be of good cheer, Paul. I have, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem, and so you must now bear witness for me in Rome. Free ticket, stamped by Caesar. You're headed to Rome. Full expenses paid. Roman government. Paul learns the next day that 40 men have made a covenant and a vow that they will neither eat nor drink till they've killed Paul. It's going to be a tough year for those guys because they don't get to kill Paul. I wonder if they kept that oath, right? <laughs> but uh, they said they weren't going to eat or drink till they killed Paul. And, but it shows us the power of prayer, that we have to pray. It's important. Let's close in prayer.